That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast re-watching and dissecting Batman v Superman one minute at a time. And boy, is it bad for Superman. Or I guess you could, well, unless he likes having big gauntleted fingers run through his rain-slicked hair. I suppose if that was something he's really into, then the conclusion of Minute 129 was a delight. But Minute 130 is not going to be because I don't think he likes radiators. Yeah, this just seems like a generally unpleasant experience. Minute 130. I bet your parents taught you that you mean something. That you're here for a reason. My parents taught me a different lesson. I have to say, it is only because of doing this rewatch at this pace and looking at frame by frame, moment by moment, finally hit me just how much Batman carrying Superman and the way it's shot makes me feel like Batman is a pallbearer <laughs> carrying That a was my exact first note, too. I mean, it looks just like when his parents' coffin is being carried in the first scene. And he isn't carrying it. Right. Right. He Like, he literally flees. And I mean, seriously, like, I don't know how... Yeah, it is that for, we're talking like it's the Gears of War over the shoulder as we're kind of walking along with him. But he even he has it. He has it. Jeez. He has <laughs> Superman slung over his shoulder. The fact that he lifted him carefully, too, just takes on totally new meaning. I think at the end of Minute 129, we talked about how it was sort of even more brutal. Yeah. yeah, I think you said the way you pick up a carcass. This is not. I mean, this is him holding him, holding Superman on his shoulder and then carefully walking with his arm outstretched, almost like a handle for him to hold. There's no reason why he would be holding his arm like this, except to bring some sort of ceremony to it. And then I started thinking the movie started with Bruce running from the cemetery and running from the funeral and then falling and having his discovery of Batman, which we realize is a memory that he's replaying. We don't know when, I guess, but obviously this is a dream that he's had. Well, and look at what he envisions as inside of that casket. It's the the, be the beautiful lie of Batman is that the demon bat that comes that literally comes out of his mom's tomb, her coffin. Yeah. And so now he is carrying Clark in the same way that he carries her casket, which is his embodiment of the fever and rage. Um, and the, the, the beautiful lie of what and who Batman is. Yeah, which he's now disgustingly fused with his family's legacy. Yeah. So what is he carrying to, to put to rest here? But it is, it's a fantastic shot that like the second funeral, right? Of the movie mm -hmm. it is, and, and it, I think it is no coincidence. Like I'm saying there's a ceremony to this and a, and a, I don't know, well, ceremony. Yeah, it, it is. It really feels cer ceremonial. Him walking Superman, considering the Batman that we saw that was overcome with rage and maybe was close to realizing that what he's doing is wrong. Like we talked about how Bruce was like a wild animal um, and he was just brutal. It was pain that now with Superman defeated, he goes back into being... You know, we, we move away from the close-ups of his face and the close-ups of his eye, uh, and we go back to the Batman in the cape as he just picks up. You get the impression that what I'm doing to Superman is something that must be done. 
yeah, you know, it isn't as personal anymore. It's cold and calculated. It's yeah. It, yeah. Th- this is a big, and then we get him walking out into the, you know, this vertical, uh, this vertical space, which you'll, will be familiar, but we'll get back to that. Scrawled in graffiti on a wall that I am delighted to say is not illuminated by lightning (laughs) for anyone scrolling frame by frame to get the best shot of it. It is in the darkness, but moves out of frame as we are following Batman carrying Superman, the graffiti reading Qui Custodie Ipsos Custodis, which is Latin for who watches the Watchmen. Obviously uh, a, a phrase of meaning to Zack Snyder, the you know, cinematic adapter of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' obviously Watchmen. The the phrase that is scrawled in Watchmen, but I think never actually shown in full in the comic. It's always partially there. It is a famous phrase. What did you take away from this, Stephen, seeing that? Um it's a weird one for me because on on one level, I don't want to say it's just an Easter egg, because obviously it's very thematically relevant in this movie, and particularly at this moment in time. I think that's what Bruce thinks he is. That's what he thinks he is doing. He is the check against the the power that is unchecked. Yeah. But it's so it's it's thrown in there as an Easter egg, though. So it's 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 hard to I don't want to give it too much, too much presence. But also, it's it's uh, directly tied to some of the dense themes that are going on. Those dense themes are where I would love to pick up here because for me, this has become. I I I will not say lightly that it may have unlocked an entirely new level of the movie for me. Oh, really? So it's, so let's edit and remove me saying I don't want to get too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because I think that I think what you just said is exactly what most people like, like most fans will take away from it. Oh, that's a cool nod to Watchmen, which was, you know, about like capital A about a lot of these same things. And the question of who watches the Watchmen, a, a question that is equally applied to Superman and Batman. Right. Right. Like for their own stories in this tie back into June. It is one of, must there be, you know, a Superman who is going to tell him what, what he should do. Right. Right. I minored in classics here. So this was like, you know what, let me do some digging into, (laughs) to the level that, you know, Snyder and Terrio and everybody else would have done or has as an operating, you know, cloud of notions in their head. And for anyone wondering, if you search this up, you will find this, the exact phrase comes from Juvenal's satires, but it is not famous for being attributed to him and people aren't sure where it's attributed to him. So it is this idea that means who watches the Watchmen, who will watch the Watchmen, who who should be watching the Watchers, like that that kind of idea, who will guard from, who will, you know, supervise the Guardians kind of things. And it is an important question. One of the biggest misconceptions that people will see is it is um, related to Plato and, and Socrates, because even though Plato never used it, it is a, a fantastic summary of a big argument that Plato made in Plato's Republic with Socrates, where it is, a, it is a distillation of the problem that he saw with forming a society, a society that needs to have and ought to have people who rule it and people who make the decisions and people who take on those roles of power and responsibility. When you enter into the realm of superheroes, thematic uh, overlays here are outstanding for me. So, Well, also on, on subtextually, but also 
literally in Man of Steel, Clark was reading Plato's Republic as a kid. Yes. Now, now let's say that this is all playing out in Clark's head then, okay? <clears throat> Stephen, may I do some quoting? Please. Socrates is saying that this this idea, this rhetorical society that we ought to make, this republic, that it will have these people who rule it called guardians. There ought to be people, in this case men, in charge because they should be. And then the question becomes, well, who should be, right? And I'm quoting here, Plato's Republic, book three. See if you can feel that we are in the realm of Batman v Superman. What, what comes to mind here? As we are to have the best of guardians for our city, must they not be those who have most the character of guardians? And a man will be most likely to care about that which he loves. Let us note among the guardians those who in their whole life show the greatest eagerness to do what is for the good of their country and the greatest repugnance to do what is against her interests. Those are the right men. And they will have to be watched at every age in order that we may see whether they preserve their resolution and never, under the influence of either force or enchantment, forget or cast off their sense of duty. A resolution may go out of a man's mind either with his will or against his will, with his will when he gets rid of a falsehood and learns better, against his will whenever he is deprived of a truth. And you would agree that to conceive things as they are is to possess the truth. This is where I interject here and to say they're actually seeing things as they are. Yes. Yes, he replied. Thank you. I agree with you in thinking that mankind are deprived of truth against their will. And is not this involuntary deprivation caused either by theft or force or enchantment? Those again who are forced are those whom the violence of some pain or grief compels them to change their opinion. And you would also acknowledge that the enchanted are those who change their minds either under the softer influence of pleasure or the sterner influence of fear. We must inquire who are the best guardians of their own conviction. We must watch them from their youth upwards and make them perform actions in which they are most likely to forget or to be deceived. And he who remembers and is not deceived is to be selected. And he who falls in the trial is to be rejected. And then we must try them with enchantments and see what will be their behavior. Like those who take colts amid noise and tumult to see if they are of a timid nature. So must we take our youth amid terrors of some kind, and prove them more thoroughly than gold is proved in the furnace, that we may discover whether they are armed against all enchantments, and have a noble bearing always good guardians of themselves, and he who has come out of the trial victorious and pure, shall be appointed a ruler and guardian of the state. He shall be honored in life and death with the greatest that we have to give, but him who fails we must reject. How then may we devise one of these needful falsehoods, just one royal lie, which may deceive the rulers, if that be possible, and at any rate, the rest of the city? What sort of lie, he said. Oh. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you what this noble, aka beautiful lie is? Now, this is where, where we move from describing why the trial and victory of Superman is important to what is the beautiful lie. This is the beautiful lie, as, as Plato puts forward, that the earth as being their mother delivered them, and now as if their land were their mother and their nurse, they ought to take thought for her and defend her against any attack and regard the other citizens of earth as their brothers and children of the selfsame earth. While all of you in the city are brothers, we will say in our tale, in our lie that we tell everyone. Yet God, in fashioning those of you who are fitted to hold rule, mingled gold 
into their generation, for which reason they are the most precious, but in their helpers, silver and iron and brass and the farmers and other craftsmen. Though for the most part you will breed after your kinds, it may sometimes happen that a golden father would beget a silver son, or that a golden offspring would come from a silver sire. So that the first and chief injunction that the god lays upon rulers is that of nothing else are they to be such careful guardians and so intently observant as of the intermixture of these metals in the souls of their offspring. And again, if from these the artisans or the farmers is born a son with an unexpected gold or silver in his composition, they shall honor such and bid them go up higher to the office of guardian the gold mingled son of a farmer should ascend. That's a very long-winded way of saying that when I picture the ancient history lesson, when you bring in Darkseid, when you bring in the gods, when you bring in Arthur Curry, Barry Allen, Diana, all of these characters, another translation of, of this, which is called the lie, or it's often referred to as the noble lie, but it might be called incredible myth or story. That is what Plato is talking about. We can build a society where people will believe and people will behave and act as we say that they should if we can make them believe that there is this kind of intrinsic thing possible. And that thing that is possible is, to me, totally synonymous with all of the DC superhero stories, right? The metahuman thesis, Plato's metahuman yeah, thesis. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> it's like he's talking about the, the, Plato, the platonic ideal of a, of a guardian which like the, the platonic ideals themselves are like whether the, the reality of them is is whatever but the the idea that there is a perfect form you know the forms of any given thing like there is a there is a platonic ideal for a chair and that is the best chair and now does is there actually some spiritual realm in like the there is a single singular chair to which all other chairs aspire uh, maybe or maybe not, but as a as a fiction, it, that's a useful fiction to believe in because yeah. it gives you then something to strive for. And because ideally <laughs> you would want to make any chair as similar to the ideal chair, the, the platonic ideal of a chair as possible. So it is a beautiful lie that this perfect thing exists because it gives you something to strive for. And we may stumble and we may fall we might join it in the sun also. Well, and when you swap out the word chair in that for hero, yeah, you are grappling with the bittersweet truth among men, right? A God cannot be all good and all powerful. He, it, it just can't. There, there needs to be a weakness. There needs to be a, a hole in the holy because nobody ever could surpass all of these horrible pains and sorrows and fears that they are assailed with and still maintain the hero that they were. Well, and I've got a little bit more to talk about before we get to this section, but maybe we'll loop back to that because what does Bruce then say? I bet your parents taught you that you mean something, that you're here for a reason. Um, my parents taught me a different lesson. And that's where the minute ends. But you look at what he's saying here. He says he's talking about learning. He's talking about things having meaning, things having a reason for for being. Um, Superman is a and uh, how does he operate in this story? It's a symbol of hope, and he doubts himself and his ability to be that. Batman and Lex Luthor refuse. They say you are not the embodiment of hope. 
you cannot inspire me to be better. And Superman committing to that ideal and being that ideal of hope is a, uh, you know, this is even infused in the, in the music, right? We're talking about a beautiful lie, uh, ideal of hope. That's what all of the heroes in this universe strive to be. It inspires. And that's where we get into with, with Zack Snyder's justice league. And there's a million other things in that passage too, that I can, I can point to about like, whoa, look at all the story connections in here where you're literally talking about the intermingling of, of the bloodlines and, and, uh, you know, even the codex is gold when it's infused into Superman <laughs> on Krypton. Oh, yeah. And the original, I mean, look at the original concept art of those gods is gold was a part of Zeus. It was literally. Well, and Zach was planning on having the the Amazons have it or, or the, the metahumans in general all being somehow descended from Kryptonians initially. Yeah. Or it talks about you, you cannot be uh, who, whoever is dissuaded from the truth. They mentioned via spirits or enchantments where you're talking about how does Batman he's clouded by rage and, and chemicals literally, whereas, whereas Superman loses the truth because of he's enchanted by the, the anti-life equation. Like there's like, we, we could do a, a Plato's Republic versus DCU, but minute by minute, probably as a whole separate thing if we wanted to dig into that deeper, but that's amazing. Well, I mean, in that one in that one section too, I, I I see like those who take cults amid noise to see if they are of a timid nature. Boy, Clark, yeah, <laughs> it adds a whole new new level of to you know when the horses are drowning. I never thought of Clark is the horse. Yeah, and then in that same section, take our take our youth amid terrors, Bruce explicitly he is in the course of this movie <laughs> being proved more thoroughly than gold is proved in the furnace. To, to find out whether he is of a noble bearing, always a good guardian of himself. Right. Well, and must there be a Superman? There is. Clark struggles to continue to be that despite losing faith himself. Bruce and Lex despise the notion or they, 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 they recognize it as a lie and refuse to recognize the beauty of the lie. And that is what that is what drives them. Uh, because they need to to see the holes in the holy to prove that, um, or as Lex says, and then Bruce says, uh, gets into it more in the next minute, but he leads into here, my parents taught me a different lesson. He's saying, you, as an ideal of hope, can't be true. And uh, and so to see the, the, these three orphans handling this notion of the, the suggestion that there is this this truth and there is this the beautiful lie and the way they all handle it is, is profound. Well, and adding on this, this layer of, like you said, Clark reading this in man of steel, there is an explicit one-to-one of this idea and Krypton, this idea of identifying that if, if somebody is born of iron and brass, then they should know their place in the, in the caste system, right? As you know, Socrates quote unquote is saying that there are these classes to a society and everybody should believe in it equally. I mean, that just is Krypton. That is a lie, right? Like Zod sees that it is a lie, um, and that is the issue. And to a degree, so does Jor-El, right? And Jor-El says the first child born who can be anything. He, he's not bound by he's not bound by the the weakness or the lie 
that put those bonds on them. Yeah. I'll send him away. And he, there was the dream of Lara and I, right? That you could become whatever you wanted to be. And th- th- that informed Superman's story. Yeah, well, and then, and then here we have Batman and Lex fighting back against that because they both, they both feel their, their future or their role is determined for them by their, by their family and their birthright as well. Obviously they're billionaires. So boohoo for them, but Lex feels compelled by his father's legacy maybe in rejection of his father's legacy, but but still controlled by that. Or, you, I mean, you go back to the, for both of them, you go back to the uh, Mask of the Phantasm, the only person controlled by their parents here is you. Where Because then you have Bruce, my, my, my family was hunters, so that's what I have to be. But then you go back to Man of Steel, and that was Zod. Zod hated Superman because him getting to choose what to be destroys everything that Zod is. Zod never had a choice. It is my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you destroy his purpose by... By acknowledging that there is, that there is a is a choice, um, and so yeah, like you said, this is the whole the whole shebang <laughs> is summed up there. That's why this moment is so huge for the whole DC. We haven't gotten into the fact that they were talking about the mothers, right? And um, and the the segment from the Republic, but these are all so densely thematic for this very moment. But then the entire rest of the DCEU story or uh, DCEU is such a, like the Snyderverse story that Zach was telling spins out of this moment. And, and the, it's, it's like a climax that leads into what comes next. Yeah. And you saying that it plays on that where Zod says, we know this is a lie that this was perpetrated so that the people in the ruling position can justify their, their place here. We need to make something new devoid of this lie. And Jorel says, Oh, and who decides? Yeah. You are just fancying yourself of, of the greatest, you know, moral fortitude, quality, gold, however you want to put it. Whereas Jorel just rejects it all, right? He says, you are, you don't have to be burdened with everything that we did wrong. You can start something new. And what Superman makes new is obviously his journey through Batman v Superman and Justice League is he ends up the only person to that degree who comes out of the trial victorious and pure shall be appointed ruler, honored in life and death, the greatest we have to give. But him who fails, we must reject. That is Batman. I mean, that is his well, I don't know. I was going to say two movie arc, but it might have been like five, right? <laughs> right. But just that also, that idea of when you bring in what we said at the time where Bruce saying, I had a dream that the bats took me up into the light, that the, the bats made me ascend from my pain upward, a beautiful lie. We said then, which Bruce is saying that? And if if the Bruce in this story is giving proof to the other side of Superman in this platonic ideal of the Watchmen and those who ought to watch them, then he's had his mind changed by the influence of fear, that that he has not been a good guardian of himself. So he thinks, oh, I've discovered my purpose to my state. It is to take this higher role. This is my legacy. My family isn't some lapsed billionaires. We were a noble people who helped build this country, right? That it now is like, oh, and I had this horrible thing that happened to me, but it proved to me, you know, that it, it proved the strength 
and my victory is going to kill Superman. It may be the greatest service I do to this earth to kill him. Only thing I do that matters. Exactly. And I'm more certain than ever that the Bruce saying I, it was the beautiful lie that I had, uh, that I was believing then is him after the fact, looking back and realizing I was giving, uh, I was playing out the other side of this equation in this, you know, magnificent story or myth or noble lie. Yeah. Well, the fact that he's the, the, the phrase beautiful lie obviously has coming from Terrio and Snyder. We now know that, that, that is, is it, it gives a very definite meaning to what he's, what they're talking about with the beautiful lie. And so the, the version of Bruce that would consider this a beautiful lie would be a version that is embracing. He's saying like the, the, the pre turn Bruce, the one consumed by his rage would not consider it that a beautiful lie. He just he's he's raging against the fact that it was a lie. He's saying that didn't happen for real. I thought it did. It didn't. And then the post Bruce was saying is the 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 version that we're getting at the end that's reflecting on it is saying maybe that was a lie, but it 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 was beautiful enough to be worth treating as if it's real <laughs> because Superman proves it right. Which which in and of itself then makes it real. So right, it's a it's a, a oh yeah, use, well, and then he does fiction, right right yeah. I mean, it, it, he makes it real because then all of these other people come Which, out. But then going, yeah, but then going with like the idea of like who watches the Watchmen. It's one of those self-defining. Well, it's not real, but you make it but you act like it's real, which makes it real. So it is real. So, so who watches the Watchmen? Well, Watchmen watch the Watchmen. Well, who watch Well, no, the, they watch each other. If they don't, what happens? What happens? Someone needs to watch them. Not if we come up with this beautiful lie, this royal lie, yeah. which may deceive even the rulers. Mm -hmm. They won't need to if they are serving this higher thing. Batman is not. Superman is, you know, just another way of viewing the thing that Batman is saying to the other Justice League members. Like, I saw this. You don't get what I get. Mm -hmm. This guy proves the lie true. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the whole, you know, <laughs> unraveling of society, I guess. But also the fact that, like, this section of Plato's Republic is, how, is like how to make a superhero. Right. Um, like, and how to make a supervillain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just explicitly. But I love that, that then we get the question that prompts this answer is key custodia ipsos custodis. And Zack Snyder puts that on the wall as Batman is attaining his victory when he is actually becoming his most villainous because the beauty beautiful lie those who fall in the trial are to be rejected yeah and y you know what when you started this i was like oh man you're bringing way more to this episode than i am and it's still true however having having covered that part the, the thing that i had notes for is now it's like a great alley-oop from that moment because after we see that flash on the wall that's when he throws him down the uh down the the onto those radiators and the I started looking into the octagon. I was like, that's a really fascinating shape. What's interesting about that is that the octagon was a early Christian sign for renewal and resurrection and is really tightly uh, associated with baptism. And so like baptismals in like Catholic churches and or other churches in general often are shaped like a like a octagon. And I grabbed a quote from St. Augustine where he says, Christ suffered voluntarily, and so he could choose his own time for suffering and resurrection. He brought it about that his body rested from all its work on the Sabbath in the tomb, 
and that his resurrection on the third day, which we call the Lord's Day, uh, the day after the Sabbath, and therefore the eighth day. So that's what gives the the octagon the eight its 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 importance. So it's interesting that Batman is then throwing Superman through in this moment a symbol of rebirth and resurrection and baptism, which is tied to 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 Jesus. Which once again, speaking of of figures that embody that platonic, like the ideal gives everyone something to strive for. The whole point of the, the renewal, the resurrection, the baptism is the, the death and life being conquered at once in a, in a, in a single, in a single making the lie true. So very interesting kind of one, two punch there of the Platonism and Christian symbolism back back to back. Yeah. And when you think of Lex traveling through that into the Kryptonian ship, just like Bruce is about to travel through yeah. and what, <laughs> what horrifying bloody rituals follow each of them as they do that, which we'll have more to talk about. Don't worry. Biblical analogies will get out of the way as soon as <laughs> Batman raises his spear. Oh yeah. I've got, I've got a whole, there's a whole other symbolism here that I've mentioned to get to. <laughs> well, moving from that and thank you to everybody for indulging my my classicist always um satisfaction there i will now point out that purely in the realm of Zack snyder's uh brilliance batman tosses superman down upon the radiators ouch fires his grapple gun and descends and as i delightedly pointed out to steven in the past he plants his boots down on the ground exactly 20 minutes after we last saw him standing in the exact same spot looking up through the baptismal knowing that he was going to be back there and then took his steps off to plant the spear. Exactly 20 minutes. Zach's playing chess and we're all 4D chess and we're playing checkers. Yeah, we said that before. I I had that discovery of that was him looking up. This is where he brings him down. Oh my God. (laughs) I I never realized that everything that follows goes exactly to his plan and that he had this whole thing. Not only did he have the exact same thing mapped out, Zach did and said, it's going to be 20 minutes until he's right back here. It's going to go so exactly to plan um, that he ends up right there. And I love that now of of knowing that I can skip 20 minutes and go from Batman looking up to planning his boots back down as it's all come full circle. I I don't know how it's possible for like to go one minute at a time and find an entirely new reason like this, this, this podcast should be 180 reasons <laughs> why, why BVS is the greatest movie of all time, it, because it's, I don't know, it's just insane that you can give a one minute chunk that, that is so, and not only one minute chunks, but obviously you've even got these many, you know, these 20 minute arcs in here where it's so full of meaning hitting the same symbols that we've hit a million times, but also in and of itself, just this, this moment separated from all the uh, even out of context this has meaning it's great it's awesome thank you <laughs> yes yeah, so then i made the practice of oh, i'm curious what was 20 minutes before this <laughs> and it was like every single one and we kind of said it along the but it's it's worth a rewatch those mid minute the fact that it's 129 30 like we'd said those 30 second marks are significant yeah. and i was like oh let me just go back here and see what happens at this last 30 second mark and it was do you bleed? <laughs> and I was like, whoa, let me go back another uh, another 20 minutes here and, and see what happens. And it is like, change the key. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Okay. All right. These mid minutes are big, but yeah. yeah, 
just underscoring again that it isn't just Lex who gets to be the master tactician here. It is also obviously we're so in Bruce's camp at this point that it's it's just goes without saying. But for somebody to realize, oh, that is where he was looking and then realize that it was an exact chunk of time in the movie later is that would be so cool to realize that for the first time. I wish I could go back. Wish I could bottle that. Yeah. Well, this is a good example, too, of how, like, it's hard to craft something that's just worth looking into deeper, but like to be able to to continue to dig to this extent and and there's no it's endlessly satisfying. Like I said, we could we could talk about this single minute of the movie incorporating that chunk of Plato's Republic for for hours and and then and then get on to the next minute and not feel like we've already mined all there is to talk about that even because we'll be talking about Excalibur in the next minute. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's so it's gratifying to dive into that pool and not be able to find the bottom. But we had this massive, you know, climactic battle with the sink bash and then, okay, now we're quiet. Now it's a funeral. Yeah. The, 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 the score drops away and just the ambient noise, it feels so much. It isn't bombastic. I feel like that's so, so significant here that. Once he lands back down, there is no mythic yeah. to what's happening. Well, except we have to call out the one of the the greatest shots in the movie of Superman draped with the, with the cape perfectly draped out, and he's I think not ironically given the the motifs that we're talking about here um, in the cross symbol yeah. on top of on the yeah, radiators. Yeah, you're you want, if you want to go even deeper into that, what is a radiator? It's, we're going to talk about he's a baptism symbol. Radiators are full of water, but it's compressed and heated. And uh, I don't know. I think we could probably get something there too, but it might not be as rich as Plato. What? Why are they there? Yeah, that's the, the question. Always plays me is like, did Batman go around? Well, it's a it's a um, dilapidated train station, and they're all pulled out of the walls from up above and and thrown down, like like if a construction like a demolition team was clearing it out. Yeah, and then just I don't know why there's a pile there, but yeah. it makes sense as to as to kind of how that would arrive there. But in terms of just what's the what's the absolute most painful thing? To like land. you'd almost you like I'd have to question whether or not it'd be better to land on like a pile of nails or a pile of radiators. Yeah, and I think I always probably like a lot of people thought they were just pallets or like um, rubble at first. The image of radiators being piled together in one place conveys something. Yeah. So yeah, we don't get that, but it's it's cool to think. About. And then of course, Batman wraps his line slow, just dragging. It, it crosses a line. I remember it crossing a line the first time I saw it. From a fight to this is now. I don't know. There's no glory. Like I said, there's no. There's nothing here. This is now shifting over into Batman carrying out. A murder. It's even grosser that we know he planned well, like this. Like you said earlier, when he switches from grabbing the hair and putting him up, it becomes very procedural and cold and calculated. And for a minute, it seems very procedural in a in like a clinical sense almost. But now yeah. it's cold, like a like a predator, where he's it's like a like a serial killer almost of just step by step. It's full of rage, but his rage is like so. It, so it's the procedure of it does not deprive it of being imbued with his rage, which makes the, the, the lack of roughness about him even more chilling. I bet your parents taught you, you're here for a reason. The decision to have him say it. And then the Batman voice 
repeat it garbled a second mm-hmm. later. I my brain struggles to process what is being communicated there. We talked before about the the cowl cracking, and now it's just Bruce, and there is no gritted teeth. It, he's just rage. Like you can see the emotion on him: pain, panic, desperation. Um, he's wild. That now that it's become cold, you can see Bruce through the mask walking and saying. I bet your parents taught you you were here for a reason and hearing the twisted, therefore ghostly voice of Batman no longer convincingly speaking as Bruce. Yeah. Right. It makes me feel like Bruce has this Batman suit on him um, in a way that it's I like he's before. breaking free of it, literally like bursting out of the mask yeah. and like the voice is even like trailing like he is now proceeding he was hiding behind the voice and now he is proceeding it if we say hearing him speak as batman signifies losing himself in that role then what is signified by him speaking and batman trying to continue saying that this is mm-hmm. us that we're speaking as and again fitting then that like that happens when he <laughs> first words out of his mouth are you know your parents yeah that makes me see a build up to the moment that's coming in a way I hadn't before for them to that it isn't Batman with the cowl on in his Batman voice saying I bet your parents taught you you were here for a reason it's something different that it is Bruce's voice and his face saying that and almost in like a digital audio way, the Batman, like you said, trying to stay on top. Like it's, you you were seeing like two integrated things almost vibrating apart with that vibration in the voice. And Batman is struggling to keep control here. Here's uh, capitalizing on all the stuff we've been talking about is Bruce is asked what he's saying here is why, right? Learning you were taught, right? So they taught you, that you mean something, that you're here for a reason. My parents taught me a different lesson. This is all about sense making, right? What is he, how, how does he make sense of his life? And how did he do that before? Well, he put on a costume of a bat and beat the crap out of criminals, right? That's, that, it, that was the way that he made sense out of it. And now he is breaking out of that suit and out of that voice that he, he shrouded himself in to make sense of the world. And Bruce Wayne is breaking out and demanding a Superman who is the symbol of hope, the the lie that, that makes sense of things and demanding of him make sense of this for me. This bat suit no longer makes sense of this. It, the, the, it, it cannot contain the rage because it doesn't make sense. You are trying to make sense and I must destroy you in order to continue allowing this to to make sense um if you can be destroyed right you're a god do you bleed are you a are you an unbreakable truism are you truly uh this this symbol um this this uh, noble lie um and and uh and so it's it's a really fascinating moment for him to be uh to be breaking free of the of the bat the constraints of the the bat sense making mechanism right you let your family die mm mm-hmm. Yeah, what he hasn't grasped, what he hasn't wrestled with, and is just turning, well, the world engine noise, bring it all in there. Like you said, yeah, the bat in the coffin, popping the pills because that's – so then the popping the pills and and downing the wine was, I guess, suggesting that there's a lot more Jekyll and Hyde (laughs) there than I would have thought after what we've just been talking about. But that – I think that's huge and should not be missed. They give agency and voice 
to the Batman. It's it's such a crazy thing to come back to like the first time we the first introduction we had was him staring at the bat suit and the zoom in on the bat suit like it was its own character. Mm-hmm. I am the answer. And to now have the bat suit being given a voice that is separate from his, yeah. which even to say out loud is like insane. You picture, you know, like a, a, a dream sequence. Yeah. Where the bat suit is speaking. But it is almost like um, you do get the impression like the bat suit is like telling him what to say. Like a symbiote. Yeah. But that <laughs> that's where we end it. They taught you you were here for a reason. Minute 130. Uh, do you have anything else to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we've got we, we've got a lot in there. I'm excited to uh, some of this will carry forward to the next minutes. But also, like we said, there's there's some stuff coming up in the next minutes. That's a little bit change of pace from this, but equally dense. Uh, dive can be taken into other literary materials. I'm now going to read anytime I think of Plato's Republic, I'm going to picture Bruce with the bat suit saying, how then may we devise one of those needful falsehoods? Plato's Republic is a great thing to read, but I would always suggest that if you can get it given to you through the lens of Batman and Superman, that's probably the best way to do it. So in that sense, I hope we've been of service. But until next time, please be sure to give us a review in your podcast app of choice. Recommend us to a friend. If you have a classical Roman uh, philosophy <laughs> fan in your life, maybe give them a link to this episode. And if you would like to uh, support the podcast for perpetuity remaining on the internet, um, as well as some additional fun stuff, then you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Snyder Minute. Until next time, we will find out if Bruce Wayne's parents taught him the same lesson as Superman. Because they taught him a different lesson. What was it? Yeah. Don't stand up in a... In BVS, when Ben smashes Superman on the head with the sink and then picks him up and carries him, throws him over the banister and he lands on all the radiators, for some reason... And that down shot of Henry, when Ben drags him out and his cape just goes across the radiators. And I don't know, for some reason that always, that's one of those shots that I've just always loved. And I just, if I hadn't made it, I would have thought it was cool.